You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to discuss our relationships with food. But first, let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what has been happening with you? I have been getting really into meditating. It's awesome. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while, but it's one of those things where I think, oh, I should meditate, and then (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I'm not sure what inspired me to actually start, but I downloaded the Calm app a couple weeks ago, and I've been meditating every day since, and I love it. I can already feel these positive effects from it. I don't know how much of that is... The placebo effect of feeling like now that I'm a person that meditates, I therefore am more calm and non-reactive versus actually seeing an impact in two weeks of meditating. But either way, it's a win. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure there's really a difference there when it's in your mind anyway. Right. So I've been really enjoying that. And I started meditating with HP in the evenings which has just been really fun, and he's into it, and I feel like it will also give him some tools and strategies that I wish I'd had as a kid. So cool. What's been happening with you? Well, I wanted to give an update on Tonks. As most people know, Tonks is our elderly Great Pyrenees dog, and she wasn't eating for a while, and then she started eating again, which was great. But she's had a lot of pain, and we have her on quite a few pain meds, And the latest update with her is that she's been having a lot of fecal incontinence, which is real challenge, both cleanup wise, though, to be fair, it's easier to clean up poop than it is pee. Hmm. And it's not diarrhea, which is a silver lining. But we took her to the vet about the fecal incontinence and they were really compassionate. And they basically just said that this is a problem that once it starts happening, probably won't get better. So this is just something that we're dealing with, sort of thinking about quality of life for her and for us and how we can help what looks like her last probably months is going to be like. So I guess what I would love from listeners is just good thoughts. Yeah, that's so hard. And I know it feels like a really big responsibility to try and do what's best for her and best for your family. Yeah. Let's move on to talk about what we've been reading. Sarah, what is your latest read? I actually have a nonfiction book to share, which you and I chatted recently that we haven't really shared nonfiction in a while on the podcast. Yeah, I haven't read much nonfiction lately. Same. Although I just finished my third nonfiction book in a row, so maybe things are changing. (laughs) Yeah, you may be on a streak. Yes, this was the first book of that streak. It is Happy City by Charles Montgomery, and it explores how we design our cities and how that design impacts our happiness and well-being. Mm. I loved it. (laughs) And part of that is it's always nice to read a book that validates your life choices, which (laughs) I feel like this book did for me. But in all seriousness, I do find it really fascinating to know more about how our towns were built and structured and all the players that were involved in that Mm. and influences that we may not realize. Yeah. And it highlights a lot of problems with sprawl and suburbia and designing places for the automobile. But it also talks about changes that have been made in different places and these innovations and 
how we can retrofit sprawl in ways to make it more livable. Mm. And the word he uses most in the book is convivial. Hmm. The part that I really didn't like was just how frustrating I found it to hear about all the mistakes we've made. Mm. I just feel like we could have done it so much better and we didn't. But the upside of that is he featured these different cities and places that are doing really innovative things. And I found that really inspirational, how even when you're starting with something that doesn't help us connect to each other and our community and build healthy, happy places, that we have the power to change it. That's empowering. Exactly. So I would definitely recommend it because I think it's a great book for thinking differently about something that we experience every day, which is the place where we live. Nice. So I am going to talk about two books. These are middle grade historical fiction. The first is The War That Saved My Life. And the second is The War I Finally Won. And both of these are by Kimberly Brubaker Bradley. The War That Saved My Life, the first book, was recommended by a friend who teaches middle school English, and he actually recommended that I listen to the audiobook. Such an awesome recommendation, because these are set in England, so it's amazing accents, which (laughs) everyone knows I love in an audiobook. But what I loved even more than the reader, who was amazing, was the characters. So the books focus on Ada, who lives in the east end of London with her mother and brother, And it's the very early days of World War II. And Ada was born with a club foot. And her mom is both abusive and neglectful. So she keeps her in their one-room flat all day. But because the war is starting, and because her little brother goes to school, Ada hears about children getting evacuated to the countryside. And so she gets out. And she and her brother end up living with somebody in Kent and it sort of traces their experience of that really different life, and it's all happening in the context of the war. The characters are just so good, both the kids and adults, and I've felt frustration with adult characters in other books written for kids because I feel like they can be flat Mm -hmm. or they're not good adults, they're not doing the right thing. That did not happen here. All the characters were dimensional. It was very clear why emotionally they were making the decisions that they were. And it was a quick read. So I didn't love hearing about the child abuse and neglect. It felt realistic, but sometimes that is even harder to read. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely recommend these. I especially love the second book, but the first one was great too. How many books are there in the series? There are just two so far, and it's not clear yet whether she's going to write a third, but the second book is not even the end of World War II, so I think there's definitely space there for another one. But does it feel like it could end now? It could end based on what happened with the characters, Mm -hmm. but if she keeps writing them, I will keep reading them. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. So today our topic is our ideas and history around food. I'm starting with a challenging question. Sarah, will you start by summing up your food philosophy in a sentence or two? Sure. As you said, it is a challenge to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And going through this outline, I realized how many different thoughts and feelings I have about food. Yeah. Looking forward to exploring that more as it's complicated. But if I were to sum it up in two sentences, I would say, enjoy eating, eat mostly whole foods, but don't stress if I'm not Nice. What about for you? 
My philosophy is that I want to eat yummy food and to share it with people I care about. And then the second piece of it, which is something that I'm still working on, is to eat what I want, when I want, however much I want, while cultivating deep acceptance of that for myself. So has this always been your attitude toward food? Definitely not. I don't think I put much thought into food until after I was in college. Mm-hmm. I ate what I wanted to, but I attached a lot more value to what I was eating and labeling things as bad or junk food. Mm. And I think I went on a lot more binges where I would say, okay, I want to eat junk food. I'm going to get all the junk food I can find. I would go to our local Kroger and just buy all the things. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I feel like, oh, I'm craving some French onion dip and chips. I'm going to eat that. But then, you know, I'll eat a healthy dinner and maybe have an apple after. And I think I'm much better at tuning into my body and what I want Mm -hmm. as opposed to feeling like now I'm eating junk food, so I better get it all in while I can. And there's no point in eating healthy food because I'm already on a bad track, which is exactly how I thought. Right. Probably until my mid-20s. Yeah. And I think part of that is also that I really struggle with moderation in general, Mm. that I would classify myself in Gretchen Rubin terms as an abstainer, where it's easier for me to just say, I'm not eating any of that than it is for me to say, oh, I'll have one really small bowl of ice cream and then that's it. Mm -hmm. But I do think it has become easier for me over time to check in with myself about what I actually want to be eating, Mm. Mm -hmm. eat that thing, and then check in with myself again about what I want to be eating. So just because I had something that's quote unquote unhealthy doesn't mean that all the rest of the day I can only eat unhealthy foods. Right. But that if I'm not enjoying it anymore, I can stop or move on to something else. And I don't really feel like I had that control until recently. Yeah, I think there's also sounds like more sort of nuance in your thinking about it, like you're acknowledging much more gray areas around food yes, rather than just viewing it in a black and white way. And I think also seeing that there are just these bigger patterns that some weeks I'm just not eating as many whole foods or as many things that I would classify as healthy, but knowing, hey, that's okay, I'm just doing that this week, but that that's going to change again right? as opposed to just seeing it, as you're saying, in black or white of eating well, not eating well, Yeah, I think I can zoom out and say, overall, I'm eating what my body needs. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to get so concerned if one meal or one day or one month isn't ideal. Right. What about for you? I feel like I've come to my philosophy pretty recently, though I've been moving toward it for a while. I've definitely held some weird attitudes around food in my life. So I grew up eating a lot of low-fat and fat-free things, which I think is pretty typical of being a kid in the 90s. But I do think that it assigned value to food, like you said, Mm -hmm. and really started me on this path of categorizing things into good or bad. And emotional eating and food-based rewards were also part of my experience growing up and in young adulthood. I feel like I was rewarded by adults with food, but also that I rewarded myself And that gets so tricky, though, because it's also this aspect of food as a celebration. Mm. So I I feel like it's so hard to decouple that idea. Because when I want to celebrate my birthday or Mother's Day or whatever, I do want to do that with good food. It does put it in this box of this food is special and it's for special times. Yes. 
we don't have it all the time because it's a certain way, whether that's whatever label you're going to put on it, good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, fancy, not fancy. I mean, there are any number of ways, I think, that I categorize food in my head and that I have in the past. But I think for me, it's also now, I mean, I guess this is the healthy way to look at it, is that if I'm wanting to celebrate, one of the things I most enjoy in life is eating good food. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. But it's not because I can't eat good cheese other times because I do. (laughs) Right. What has worked best for me is when I try and think about eating what I want whenever I want, that it's important to not have those foods restricted just to celebration times because then I think it goes more toward rewards. Mm -hmm. But like, for instance... You love to eat good cheese Mm -hmm. on special days, but you also eat good cheese on the regular. Lots of days are special days. Yeah. So there's no (laughs) aspect of deprivation about it, maybe. I see that. It's something I bring in from my regular life because I enjoy it so much to those special days as opposed to something that is only allowed at specific times. Exactly. That makes sense. So I've eaten what I wanted when I wanted for most of my adult life, but I do think that I had some complicated emotions around food. So wanting to eat a whole bag of chips, but then feeling guilty after I did it. Mm -hmm. But where I am right now is really working on being okay with eating what I want in the quantity I want all the time and separating feelings of deprivation, feelings of rewarding myself, just really any emotions aside from enjoyment of it from that experience of eating. That is also something I am working on. I think it's a really tricky thing, that self-acceptance piece. And another thing I want to mention is thin privilege, that I could eat what I want in the quantities I want and still be basically a thin appearing person Mm -hmm. and not have people judge my food choices. And so for me, this self-acceptance is something that I'm also trying to apply to everybody So I'm trying to accept everything that I eat, but I'm also trying to accept everybody's eating around food because I think I definitely have had judgment in the past, even of people close to me, about their food choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to completely drop all that. And it starts with myself. Thin privilege is definitely something I've also become aware of, honestly, really recently. Mm -hmm. And like so many privileges, it's one of those things that is invisible to you until you're made aware of it. And having to come to terms with my own prejudices and judgments and the ways in which I really am treated very differently as a thin person Mm -hmm. and how I've assigned values in the past. And I think exactly what you're saying, that it does come back to how we see ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And that being thin isn't any statement about my self-control or who I am as a human being. Right. And that is not the message that's coming from society or that is generally accepted in our society. And it's still something I'm working on both in how I view myself and how I view other people. So do you adhere to any specific food lifestyles or have you in the past? When I was in eighth grade, I became a vegetarian and was for nearly a decade. Mm. And at that point, I started becoming more interested in local food and food systems as a whole. And I started eating meat again. I still learned to cook on my own while I was vegetarian. (laughs) So I no longer categorically don't eat meat, Mm -hmm. but 
it's not a staple of our diet. In terms of food restriction, I have had different phases where I've tried not eating gluten or I've tried not eating dairy. Mm, mm -hmm. And for those, my conclusion at the end was, I don't feel like I'm really sensitive to either of those things and would like to have them back in my life. Yeah. The one food category that I would say I restrict on a more regular basis is eating sugar. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this can sound like it's really in conflict with what I was saying earlier. <laughs> but I think part of it is that being an abstainer, it is easier for me to just say, hey, I'm taking a break from sugar for a while and to focus on eating other foods. And then I feel like it has less power over me. Yeah. And that I know I feel better when I'm not eating a lot of sugar and that having those resets is really helpful. At this point, I don't do that in any kind of systematic way. It'll just be something where I feel like, hey, I've been eating a lot of sugar. I feel like I need to take a break. <laughs> and then I do for a few days or weeks. And then when I feel like I want to eat sugar again, I do. Mm -hmm. So I do think my thoughts on that have evolved. But I do still find it helpful to take breaks and get back to eating more whole foods when I feel like that's what needs to happen. So I have also gone through phases of totally abstaining from sugar, most notably when I was in my yoga teacher training, and mm. I did it as part of a group for six weeks, so we all didn't eat any added sugar for six weeks. Mm -hmm. It was a really interesting experience. I felt better during it, and... It had much more of an impact than I would have thought going into it. But I haven't felt like repeating that since then. I think because I've held so much emotional energy around depriving myself or not with the sugar. And so where I am now is that I eat whatever sugar I want whenever I want in whatever quantities I want. Yeah. But it was a really interesting six-week experiment. So switching gears a little bit, I think something we hear about a lot is sharing food with other people. So what's your perspective on the social aspects of food? As I was thinking through this question, I actually realized that I think about it differently than I thought I did. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Where I would have said the social aspects of food are really important to me and building community and sharing food with other people and having that connection. And I do believe that to an extent, but... Eating good food is important to me all the time, mm. and I don't know that it has any more importance when I'm with other people than when I'm by myself. Mm. I would just as soon eat delicious cheese by myself and have that experience and then go on a walk with a friend that I don't think my experience with somebody else is enhanced because we're eating that food together. Mm. That said, I really do value eating delicious food all the time. So it's not that I don't care about eating food, whereas Neil likes eating, but he doesn't think about it as much as I do or care about what he's eating, that he's more the type that's eating to live as opposed to living to eat. Uh -huh. And I'm definitely the second category. I could just as well do it on my own, though, as with other people. Hmm. That's really interesting because I feel like eating food with people I care about really does enhance my experience of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like you that I want to eat amazing food all the time. But I do think it takes it to another level to share it with folks. And I really get a lot of pleasure and pride from preparing food to feed people that I care about. So I spend a lot of time thinking through 
if I'm going to have a party, what food are we going to have and who likes what and will this be enough for everybody? And the other aspect of that is that I really like receiving compliments and gratitude for the food that I prepare. Hmm. Maybe a little too much that maybe I'm relying on external validation more than is really appropriate because if I make something that I like to eat, it might be good if I could just be happy if no one else <laughs> acknowledged that. Mm-hmm. But I really do love it when Andrew is like, wow, this dinner is so great. You're such a good cook. Or when Plum is like, I love this, mama. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> which is adorable. But I do really focus on those social aspects of eating. And I think we might get into the food with kids and family in a Mm. future episode, because I actually do have a lot of thoughts on that, that family dinner is really important to us. Mm -hmm. And it is very important to me that my family thanks me when I cook dinner. (laughs) But I don't really care if they like it or not. I just care if they acknowledge that I put work into it. Whereas their love for the food, I liked it, I made it, doesn't matter. But just acknowledge that I spent some time on it. Fair. (laughs) Which they do. Let's wrap up our discussion around food by talking about resources that have informed our ideas that we'd recommend that folks check out. When I think of the books that have been most informative for me in my relationship with food, I think of Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver Mm -hmm. and the Michael Pollan books. To me, in both of those, there's this deep love for good food and also thinking about the ways in which our food systems impact things and how we can eat delicious food while supporting that broader system. Mm -hmm. That has been very influential for me. To go back to our discussion around thin privilege, the books and resources around that that have impacted me are Shrill by Lindy West, which I believe we talked about in our inaugural Friendlier episode. Yeah, I think that's right. And Hunger by Roxanne Gay, and also the This American Life episode called Tell Me I'm Fat. What resources do you have to share? I've talked about Catherine Newman on the podcast before. She's an author who's written memoirs, and she also keeps a blog where she shares a lot of recipes and a real diversity of recipes. So all the way from the smoothie for the cleanse she's doing to chicken wings, and her chicken wing recipe is amazing. That's something we can link to in the show notes because that's how I make chicken wings every time. She seems to be really well-rounded in how she thinks about food. And while I enjoy the exact recipes, I also enjoy how her philosophy comes through. The other resource I have to recommend is a blog and a podcast from Caroline Dooner, and it's called The Effit Diet, only not F, the other word. (laughs) And the aspect of my philosophy where I said, you know, eat whatever I want, whenever I want, in whatever quantities I want, that's directly from her. I have found her podcast and her writing around assigning value to food and having emotional energy around food to be really informative for where I feel like I am. That wraps up our discussion. Listeners, we would love to hear from you about your ideas and attitudes around food, as well as any resources that you think we should check out. Let's finish up in appropriate fashion by talking about what we've been eating. So I'm going to talk about some special burritos. These are burritos that I first had when we saw some friends from Nashville. They made them in honor of their new baby. (laughs) Inside these burritos are refried beans, eggs, spinach, sweet potatoes, chorizo, 
bell peppers, and onions. So it's a pretty substantial burrito. You spread the refried beans on the tortilla and then put all those things inside and roll it up. Mm-hmm. Put it in a 13 by 9 and then cover it with cheese and put it in the oven. Mm. No sauce on top? No sauce on top. Just cheese. Okay. When I made them, I actually bought cheese sauce because it was buy one, get one free. Yep. They used what was called Mexican melting cheese, which I'm not even sure, you know, what a different name for that would be. Is that queso fresco? Queso fresco crumbles and doesn't melt well. Okay. So I did get queso fresco, but then realized that it didn't melt and that that wouldn't be it. It might be Oaxacan cheese. I couldn't find that, so I couldn't test it to see if that's what it was. So I just poured cheese sauce on my burrito. And I did the eggs in kind of a special way. Mm-hmm. I made almost like a really thin frittata with spinach in. And then I cut them into little egg rectangles so that they would be exactly burrito size so that the eggs would be evenly distributed. They were yummy. We ate them for dinner and breakfast for several days. I was going to ask if it reheats well, because that's always my concern when eggs are in things, that I'm kind of weird about having eggs the next day. Mm. So it's good to know that it worked. What have you been eating, Sarah? So I have a beverage to share. Listeners, let me know what you think of it. It's kind (laughs) of weird. (laughs) So partway through the winter, I decided that I needed something besides just the black coffee, which is what I usually drink. Mm. So I started putting a peppermint tea bag in my coffee. I make it in a French press. Yeah. So it's kind of like a peppermint mocha, only without the sugar or milk Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff that goes into that. And it just made it feel a little bit more special. Mm -hmm. And I've kept it up, even though it is no longer the winter. I don't do it every day, but every once in a while, I think, I'm ready for my special coffee. And then (laughs) I put the peppermint tea bag in. So that is my recommendation for coffee and tea lovers. Just put them together. (laughs) Would you try it with another kind of tea? Like another spice Mm. tea? Interesting. Maybe. I am always open to the possibilities, but I would have to think about the right combination. It seems like it's something that could go really wrong. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it could. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. We would love to hear from you listeners. You can leave a comment on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Now I feel like I'm a person who medicate, (laughs) not medicates. Are we on the pod right now? I think we're on a sidebar. So... Nailed it. (laughs) All right. Sorry. (laughs) I'm just like already thinking about what I'm going to buy at the grocery store and didn't realize I had another line.